podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Good. Happy holidays and happy pre-New Year. Happy pre-New Year. Yeah, it's just a few more days and that's it. It's 2018. And because of that, we have to do a predictions podcast. It's mandatory. Oh, wow. That's awesome. This is a special yeah. edition, I guess. Special edition. We're, I wish there was like some cool music we could dub in like where there's like a drum roll or something. Or the, <laughs> something that, we'll, we'll just kind of leave the audience to have their imagination. But um, before that, thank everybody from the audience for continuing to listen as we, as we kind of modified our format a little bit. We went over to a model of also interviewing some really hardcore um, marketers out there and, and analytics professionals. And, and these were rock star people. And we were really blessed to be able to have these people on our podcast. But we also wanted to come back and, and make sure that we came back to our original programming, as you guys have come to know. So we're, we're happy to be going back and forth. So you excited about today's topic? You ready for the drum roll? I'm excited. I'm really excited. Okay. Let's do this. So today's podcast is right 11 data analytics and marketing predictions for 2018 so that's exciting very yes. good let's very do good. it okay so number one let's get straight into it no more just chit chat first one this is something we thought would be coming you know more mainstream but i think now it, it should be a standard and it's content marketing and ad messaging will be driven by ai and I think you're you're on the same wavelength as me is that this is something that people shouldn't be just trying to to do typically. This is should be um something that should be mainstream. Every single person that does content marketing or ad messaging, it all should be AI driven. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's very fascinating that this is like one of the top predictions for twenty eighteen when it comes to data and marketing analytics. And it's fascinating that the last few podcasts that we did with uh, the guys from Uberflip, Randy uh, and Yoav, uh, it was very exciting to get their take because that's exci- that's exactly what they're doing is they're taking exactly. artificial intelligence and data science and driving uh, the content engine with this advanced analytics. And I agree. Like I feel that uh, with what's happening in the industry today is content marketing is becoming sort of a commodity like Mm -hmm. i don't think content is king anymore no but the future of content marketing is what people like randy and yoav and uberflip and other companies that are doing similarly are enabling the future by using advanced analytics to drive content drive messaging on your banner ads your ppc and all the different types of campaigns let's dig into that because i think it's easy for us to you know as the podcast people just to say, hey, guess what? Content marketing and ad messaging will be driven by AI. But that's just semantics. Let, let's dig into it because it actually means something. So let's talk about this. The, the typical content marketing is usually done how as an SEO-driven or data-driven marketer, right? And, and let me know if I'm wrong about this, but typical content marketing means you figure out who your buyer personas are, and you identify what really makes them tick, you know, based on behaviors and interests. And then you do a lot of data modeling on your keyword research. And based on that, you know, this is a very manual process. You identify top keywords and then you build your content around that, starting with SEO driven titles and then anchor text within the content and so on. 
then how would, how would AI-driven content be different from typical traditional style content marketing? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, uh, and I'm kind of along the same lines as you are thinking. Basically, what's happening is there are two parts to it. One is, first off, looking at how people are consuming the existing content and the patterns and all the scorings that you can generate from those pat uh, those contents okay. pieces, and then generating more similar type of content for your website and for your resource center, for your webinars, like all types of content activity. That's one angle of using data science for content production. So the content is more relevant to your audience. Okay. The second part to that is how do you map the messaging across your advertising advertisement campaign? So uh, a great example is if you have uh, enough information about the type of audience that you're targeting and you're combining that with artificial intelligence and doing some predictive scoring models on top of the data, you now identify your ideal customer profile. Mm -hmm. And once you have the ideal customer profile, you're able to take their message that is really relevant to them and then put that dynamically on display ads, uh, dynamically on different types of ads and campaigns or social media messaging that you're doing. So, what so those are the two big ways on how we do the uh, you know, optimized content marketing with data. So science. one of the words you, keep, uh, you kept mentioning is the word dynamic, right? So let's dig into that real fast. And I know we got you know, we got a few more. We've got 10 more to go through, but I just want to make sure that we understand what does it mean by dynamic? Because a lot of times, you know, remember that podcast we did on buzzwords where people just use a buzzword, but they have no idea what it actually really means. They just use it because everybody else uses it. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by dynamic? Dynamic meaning it automatically changes based on the target audience. So let's say if I am uh, targeting a group of C-level executives uh, and my message is going to show up on a variety of different websites, and I'm targeting C-level executives, and I'm also targeting uh, business managers. Mm -hmm. In order for me to resonate my message with the C-level executives, I need to dynamically change the message, the, the exact message on the display ad, right at the time when a C-level executive is visiting that website and seeing my ad yeah. versus the business manager. Uh, so, and, and same thing for business manager. If I want to tailor my message to a business manager, then I want to be able to quickly change that message to tailor to the business manager so they can understand and they can relate to what I'm trying to communicate versus the C-level executives. You know, they're thinking in much more broader context of my message. It's pretty interesting how it just seems like such a common sense thing, but it, it's something that that a lot of people are lacking. So this is a great point. Yeah, and, and what people are doing today uh, is they're using A-B testing. Yeah. Uh, they're using multiple ads, but it doesn't give them the ability to do the exact targeting. What's the differentiator, differentiator here with the uh, artificial intelligence-driven targeting is you're actually targeting them based on their individual personas and profiles. And you're not just doing A-B testing. You're doing A-B testing on predictive steroids. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Cool. So let's go to the next one. This is a good one. Advanced analytics and data science driven marketing will override traditional marketing. And this is for me a trend that's been going, you know, I would say since 2010, 2011, maybe. This is a trend that's at least five to seven years now. But when we say um, it's really going to override traditional marketing, are we talking about the near distinction? Of traditional marketing, because in my mind, you know, no matter what you think, 
people still will read a print ad. People will still look at a newspaper or look at a traditional billboard, you know, and, and they need that for the branding element. And, and what a lot of digital marketers and data-driven marketers um, fail to do in my mind is they, they completely think, you know what, this is digital world. Print and traditional marketing is crap. It's gone. Completely forget about it. But the thing is, it's so essential to the journey. And even though it may not attribute, you know, uh, data wise to, to the bottom line, it still is a part of that process. And without that branding, without really having a strong brand effort, you're not going to, you're going to have trouble speeding up the sales process. So let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And when we when we say that uh, data science and advanced uh, analytics will override traditional marketing, what we're generally talking about is the the percentage distribution, yes. right? So today, and you know, like you mentioned, it's a great point that analytics and data science have been out there for quite some time. But what we're saying in 2018, the number of people that are going to be using really advanced data science uh, and analytics-driven marketing will exceed uh, or at least be in the direction of exceeding the number of people who are doing traditional marketing. Nice. And we're, we're generally talking in terms of B2B uh, companies. So that's where even B2C, like if you're noticing like some of the companies like Kraft and some really major retail brand that are very hardcore brick-and-mortar businesses yep. are now using uh, – variety of different types of uh, data technologies and data solutions Walmart to yeah Walmart is one Wal of them yeah. and, and Amazon is one they, they're using a variety of different types of data science projects in fact they're like exceeding in data science uh, compared to the B2B organization so that's what we're saying is that we're going to see a lot more of that I, so the, there was actually um, I'm sure there's going to be a use case coming out about it but there was a big statistic that came out about the the success of Walmart moving to a digital infrastructure and moving to a digital sales model and actually trying to mimic Amazon because they're getting killed by Amazon. There's even stories about people who will go buy discounted products at Walmart in the brick and mortar stores and then turn around and post them on Amazon and sell them at a premium on Amazon. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, or the other way yeah, around, right? But, sell, buy from Amazon and sell Walmart. Exactly. These are the hustlers of the online stores people yeah. are pretty awesome right so um it, there's a lot of people out there but I, I think it's one of those things that i remember working with walmart back in you know 2014 2015 and they had a very strong digital um focus to where they were trying to figure out how do we you know how do we rebrand they, they were first building the responsive design websites back in 2014 2015 it's kind of shocking like two to three years later, they finally decided to really embrace a digital model. You know, it's not about the online, it's uh, not about the brick and mortar, but the online. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. And I was looking at some of the recent financial reports uh, across the holiday season. It seems like Walmart has definitely received very tough competition from Amazon, but lately they're doing pretty well because like you're saying that they're building their digital engine to the same level that Amazon is. Well, especially if you're Jeff Bezos and you're now worth a hundred billion dollars. I mean, you get to try out a lot of new cool stuff and test what works. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Number three, this is a good one. And, and you, ha I know you probably have some statistic um, that you might want to share with the, the audience, but so this third one is, Content consumption during drive time will increase during the rise, due to the rise of self-driven cars. So th th we need to make this distinction. 
um, talking about content consumption of advertising in the vehicle. You're talking on a mobile device, which should be very illegal to, you know, and we're not saying, hey, people are going to start looking at their phones while they're driving, which is creepy. Or if you want to explain how that works or let's dig into this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first off, uh, as you were saying, let's talk about what's happening in the in the area of self-driven cars, right? There's been a lot of testing done by a variety of different companies. Waymo fleet of cars, which are self-driven. Google has their own self-driven car. Uber has recently ordered uh, a significant number of cells, like 24,000 Volvos, which are self-driven. Um, so Tesla is doing some tests across that area, Mercedes-Benz. So all these companies, what they're doing is they're moving into the next generation of uh, the automobile technology, which is going to be driven by itself. What that tells us is because now these cars will be driven by automation, the driver or you know the people who used to drive cars, they're going to have a lot more time during their drive time. Mm-hmm. And that's going to open up a whole new era of content consumption that we have not even imagined to date. Uh, Talk about podcasts, talk about watching videos while driving because now they're not going to be yep. personally driving. They're going to be able to consume videos like we don't do today. Like it's very hazardous to watch video while driving. Yes. But podcasts has picked up pretty well, well during the drive. Let time. me give you – I think it's going to – Go for yeah. it. I was, I was giving you an example. So I was driving back from Houston today and um, in my car we have the Apple AirPlay, right? And so where you can plug plug your phone straight in – and it just mirrors your phone with all the apps on your iPhone. And so the cool thing is um, uh, it's Audible or audiobooks or any kind of podcast feature, SoundCloud, are all apps available. So I was listening to, um, you know, I was I was going through my old books like Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I was re-listening to that one on my drive, uh, you know, from Houston. And it was a great thing. It was easy to consume all this content because it easily plug and play. So, you know, there could be somebody that says, okay, Samir and Jeremy, well, great argument, but I don't really see self-driven cars being so mainstream just yet. But the the technology in the plug and play features of like something like a Apple AirPlay or CarPlay makes the consumption of content so much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. And plus that no one's going to be driving the car. You're going to be the one sitting there and now we can be not just listening to watching content as well. And also at the same time, there is a great opportunity to show ads uh, during that. So so that's where we're heading. Uh, I agree. Like it's not going to become mainstream, but that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen more incrementally. The trends, the trend is starting. That's Yeah. The trend is eventually going to look like hockey stick in a few years. Yeah. Starting from 2018. Yeah, exactly. And one of the statistics I know that we when we did some research, you say here, you know, that, you know, you talked about Uber, you talked about, you know, Volvo, you talked about Tesla, even the Audis and Mercedes and all those. I mean, all these manufacturers, all these manufacturers are really getting into the whole, you know, uh, you know, consumption of data during uh, like self-driving and all that stuff because they really want to have the easeability of driving through traffic, but also that data consumption because it allows them to also make money. So it's nice. Cool. Okay. Next one. This is a good one. It's number four is business analysts will be required to amp their analytic skills. And this might seem a little bit ironic because you would assume that the business analysts are the most analytical people in the office. But is that, 
Presumably. Presumably. Okay, so let's <laughs> dig into that. When you say amp up their analytical skills, are we talking about crossing over? Because a lot of you know, there's two different types of people who are business analysts. They're traditional, or let's say three. There's traditional finance people, right, who decided – I don't want to do just finance. I want to do a little bit of strategy too. So I want to move over into a business analyst position. Then there's people who started off as a business analyst, you know, as like a project manager of sorts. And then the third are people who are marketers who really got interested in data and kind of moved over into a business analyst role. So what of those elements are you, are, are we talking about here? I'm talking about all okay. three of them. Um, Basically, the word business analyst has been abused quite yep. a bit, right? Uh, generally, when a company tries to hire a person with uh, some level of analytical skill, they just put them into one label called business analyst. <laughs> and and what's happening is you brought up a great point that there's starting to become a division of finance analysts, sales analysts, marketing analysts, like all these different types of individuals who are specializing in one particular area. So rather than them being called as common as business analysts, they're becoming more of a a specialization in marketing, for mm-hmm. example. What we're saying is that from a prediction standpoint is even the marketing level analyst is not going to be enough when it comes to specialization and skill advancement. They need to become a really hardcore data junkie who can who can dive into these data sets and drive some really powerful insights. Uh, and we know this, and we have, we have kind of evolved and we have seen people evolving in this role is – Generally, when it comes to marketing analysts, you're focused on either your digital analytics or your lead funnel analytics or, you know, some of your marketing automation analytics, uh, which is good at the surface level. But then in order to be able to use the, uh, you know, data science technology to drive predictive insights, to understand your uh, revenue optimization over the course of time, to do really advanced level uh, lead cycle management, all of that requires a deep dive in data, like content improvement. How do you improve your content production? How do you use artificial intelligence to improve? All of that requires a much more deeper review of the data. So no longer will a business is going to tolerate a common uh, high-level marketing analyst who can just do basic reporting and analysis. It'll be eventually it'll become very mandatory to have these person dive into the data and drive really competitive insights for that business to drive. Revenue. Good point. I don't think I can add anything to that. Good stuff. Cool. Okay, let's go to number five. So number five is one that we're going to talk about, and this is something that's been on the rise, but we want to say that digital security and data protection will be on a hyper rise. You know, and when we say hyper rise, it's just because of, you know, just the amount of data that's out there, the amount of personal information that's that's available to consumers uh, the fact that everything is now being tracked, you know, traditional marketing even really has essence uh, of data collection on everything. And because of that, you know, people's security, digital security and data protection needs to be a number one focus. And there's so many companies out that are doing that, but, you know, a lot of them are taking that leap to the next step. Yeah, and also what's happening is there are so many breaches that are happening. Like, you know, Equifax, you have Target, we have uh, companies like Uber. Like, all of these companies are facing uh, challenges from people who are compromising their data set and compromising their security. And that's leading to a widespread uh, kind of awareness among the people who understand that, hey, you know, when I'm working, I'm going to put my credit card into a Target machine, there's a good chance 
that it might get hacked and my data will be stolen. So that awareness is uh, increasing so much. And so what, what's happening in the turn is the companies who specialize in security, who specialize in data protection, they have a very good chance to grab a larger market share. Uh, and more, more, a little bit more about the security side. What The, the way... Uh, to date, people have approached data security and uh, at least in the U.S. and digital security is it's an after the fact, right? If something bad happens, then you go do add new layers of protection. So that is not one of the fundamental things that people consider when they're moving towards clouds or moving towards all the digital technology. But because of all the pressure and GDPR is another one, because of all this pressure coming from a lot of media sources and a lot of uh, consumers, Companies are going to become more thoughtful about putting security, at least if not the first, at least somewhere in the middle, in the early stages of their technology buying cycle or technology improvement. So th this is even being, and this is it seems like a basic concept, but being proactive with your data security rather than reactive. Yeah, and proactive to a much greater degree than people have. Exactly. Before. Very cool. Okay, here's one that I think you and I have talked about this for the past like year. Um, the idea that number seven is the idea that a chief data officer job or even jobs for chief data officers or just the, the foremost data person in the company will be on the rise as organizations start to align data with business results. And, and we talked about this, you know, it really started off a seat at the executive table, right, which doesn't happen in a lot of companies. And then we talked about how it needs to be a digital marketer or uh, somebody within analytics. And so now we're getting into this whole idea around chief data officers. So let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so number six is exactly like you said, the chief data officer job will be on the rise as organizations align data to business results. So what we're saying is there has been all this, you know, subtly, uh, in a very subtle way, the chief data officer job is becoming one of the key jobs in the organization because most of the organization, they have so much data and very few organizations have excelled in terms of what they could do with the data. Forget insight, forget business results. We're just talking about what do we do mm -hmm. with data? How do we manage it? How do we build the infrastructure? How do we allow the data flow? How do we do the integration? So just solving that data challenge is becoming so important that the companies are considering uh, on, a, on a grander scale to hire a chief data and you know C-level data officer that can solve these data problems across the organization, not just for marketing, not just for sales or finance or other divisions. So that's what we're saying here is there's going to be a lot more uh, hiring going on in the chief data officer side where a lot more companies are going to start thinking about data as a company as a whole and not just individual departments that you know primarily use data alone. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I, I just realized I, I skipped one of the – when we post the order, I skipped one of them. Um, let's go back to – yeah, okay. So the chief data one was officially number seven. Let's go back to number six. So traditional analytics tools, Excel, SQL, will continue to make way for advanced BI tools. So basically what we're saying here is that the traditional way of, of really managing your data and, and looking at predictive models – those traditional ways are really gonna they're gonna they're gonna really open the doors for more advanced types of tool sets and and, and I have a feeling that what we're saying here is that there's going to be a very steep learning curve when it comes to new types of 
tools that are going to be out there. So is this the prediction of saying SQL and Excel are no longer going to be the norm in the future for just really calculating data? Yeah, and it's already happening. And there are lots of, uh, especially when you look at Excel, there are lots of disadvantages. Now, there are definitely advantages for people who mm-hmm. are who have consistently used Excel and they continue to use that. For them, it's uh, definitely a simplest form of uh, analytical tool. But the disadvantages are integrations. Like you have challenges when you come to integration data. You have challenges when it comes to accessibility across the organization. There are challenges when it comes to the the version of the data that you're using. You know, there's good chances that you're going to have a duplicate version and that will cause a lot of issues. The data is not stable. Like anyone can go and pretty much change the data as they want. Uh, now, I know that my Office 365 and Google Docs and all of those, they're trying to limit uh, and reduce these challenges, but it's not going to scale. And that's what's happening. That's the reason why is Tableau and Power BI and uh, some of the other technologies that are becoming much more powerful because they are able to overcome these challenges. Uh, they're able to scale the analytics and make it available. They're able to allow us to do some really advanced calculations that you cannot do in Excel. And we're already seeing, uh, you know, there's a sort of a, a big community that just love these powerful BI tools like Tableau and Power BI. And they're just crazy about it. And it used to be at one point of time, there used to be a community for Excel. Uh, and now it's changing. So that's what we're saying here is in 2018, we're going to see a lot more uh, advancements happening on the BI tool side and a lot more advancements happening on the different types of visualization technologies and Excel and SQL, the age-old technology will well, start I think, to Well, I think a lot of that, that trend is going, to be, is going to run parallel to the behavior. So if you think about it, why would people still use Excel? Because Excel really is a, a basic tool, somewhat archaic, that really is based on input. You know, it, it doesn't have a strong output. It's based on what you input in. There's no predictive modeling for anything for it. So you really can't call it um, business intelligence in any way. But I, I think it's all based on the behavior that if if the average digital marketer, analytics marketer, does not go out and make the effort to integrate their tools and get away from this whole idea of, of a fragmented ecosystem – if they continue to build out fragmented ecosystems and continue to use tools that are not integrated, they're going to have to still take those tools, download the raw data, plug different pieces of raw data into simple tools like Excel or even something as, as advanced as Tableau and then run calculations from there and they're still doing it manually. So until they get out of this idea of of fragmentation and really get into the idea of integration that's when the trend will really start to pick up and become mainstream in my idea cool okay next one back to the official number again number eight organizations driven by cmos or chief marketing officers will be faster to succeed than driven by finance or sales leadership i'm going to say an amen on this one (laughs) yeah yeah, amen too. Yeah. And this is a long coming, right? I think uh, traditionally you notice that most of the organizations that are very heavily driven by a finance model or sales leadership model, and there is nothing wrong about that. It's just that 
the reason why this used to happen because marketing, especially the executive level marketing, they had a very small, uh, you know, they have very small uh, leg room in the table, the executive table or the boardroom table. And what's happening is that's changing because, and partly because marketing has become much more advanced in terms of consuming data and using data and insights from it and becoming much more advanced in terms of how marketing manages the entire revenue cycle and all of that. And on top of that, the shift in budgets that's happening from IT leadership and other departments to marketing, because a lot more focus has been on marketing is becoming the key department in the organization. So that's where we're heading is essentially what's going to happen is CMO is going to have a larger share on the executive table. They're going to have a larger presence in the boardroom because they can bring so much information and knowledge and strategy and guidance to drive the organization to the next evolution and that's the reason why uh, they're going to have the companies that do that will have a faster mm, cycle I, than the I can't that add to that that's a good one <laughs> that's a good answer okay great let's go to uh let's see number nine <laughs> number nine are this is a this is a good one this is a little bit outside of what we traditionally talk about but tv commercials will be replaced by partial interstitial ads on top of tv shows so Give, give me the premise of that one first. Yeah, first let's talk about what are interstitial ads. You know, some you know some may be aware of some yeah. of our listeners may be aware of it. Some may not be aware of it. So interstitial ads are generally when you open an app yep. and you see an ad that pops up right on top of it, especially the free apps, not the paid ones. Uh, that's how those apps generate revenue. Is they make you watch those ads same thing on youtube if you're watching a video there's going to be an ad that pops up and you have to watch it for five seconds before you go to your video so that's those are the interstitial ads what we're saying is today because everyone has dvr everyone is subscribing to digital content through hulu or all other types of uh, channels that are readily available so that you don't have to go through your prime time uh, of soap opera you know regularly when you have to sit and wait for the 10 minutes of ads and 30 minutes of programs the ads will still be available but because of the change in how we are consuming content they'll become partially on the screen where you're already watching your soap opera and this happens today as well like if you typically watch any of your favorite episodes you sometimes notice that there's a small portion covered by the next program or next uh, soap opera episodes or new technology or any kind of new products. But that's going to start happening more and more because less and less people will stop and watch the ads in their TV because less people are using TV. The Another good explanation. Man, you're not giving me any space to speak here. I'm joking. <laughs> your answers are, <laughs> your answers are killing it. You, you can add a lot okay. more to that. Cool. Let, let me, let, let's go to the next one. <laughs> Number 10. Um, Digital budgets will become independent of the marketing channel. So this is an interesting one. So let's go into that. So we're talking about digital budgets. We're talking about the digital marketing efforts, right? So that is correct. The digital mar- well, basically, we're talking about the funding of these digital marketing efforts. And essentially, what we're saying is today, you know how we approach yep. each digital marketing channels separately. Like you have a budget for your paid search, you have a budget for your search, uh, and then you try to generate ROI just based on that particular program's performance. Uh, And and it's interesting, the next one we're going to talk about that's going to lead into this topic. But basically, 
just by looking at those individual channel and the budget that goes into them, it's kind of becoming outdated. What organizations are really interested in, in the overall ROI of your marketing performance and what that requires is some really advanced budget calculations done at. So I, I think there's actually an effort that's channel. already been happening and a lot of people may know it by this name, but if you think, well, I, I think I've been doing that before, but you have, it's the term marketing mix modeling or MMM. It's, it's, it's basically the same concept, you know? Yeah. So the, the whole idea behind that is, is you're basically saying, don't look at individual channels. I, I remember for, you know, part of the final exam I gave to my students was this idea that I gave them a quick uh, chart, a spreadsheet. And in that chart and spreadsheet, it talked about, you know, here are five primary channels, right? Um, I think it was email, search, display, social, print, and something else. And I put an average ROI on all of them. And most of them had, you know, a, a, a positive or above a 1.0 ROI. And then you had like print, which had a 0.43 and display, which had a 0.5, you know, ROI on it just because of the, uh, of the indirect value of it. And so one of the things we talked uh, that I asked in, in, in that exam question was of these different channels based on what you would think semantically, which one would you cut? And it's kind of a trick question because the, the answer that I was looking for was, well, you don't really cut any of them because you don't look at them as individual successes. You first has to have to determine what is the buyer's journey based on the buyer persona, what interactions um, is the buyer having with each of the different channels throughout the journey, and then what is the attribution of that channel towards the entire journey. And then based on that, you know, your budget should be all encompassing. So basically your whole digital budget, uh, instead of looking at the individual, because some people even answered, well, I would cut print completely because, you know, it's underperforming. Well, then that's the wrong answer. So I, I think we're traditionally doing this, but I think it's just coming back to the realization of saying it's just the way you view it. You may have been doing this in the past. And, you know, this is something you've been leading towards, but now it's just kind of a full disclosure of saying, yes, we're not going to look at the budgets as individual channels. We're going to look at them as like a piece of pie. And we're going to say, we are allocating on average 30% towards this and 15% towards that and 40% towards search and, and so on. You know, that I think, I think that's really what it comes down to with this prediction. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, That's number 11, well the finale, right? Here we go. <laughs> Drum roll. <laughs> the last one is really comes into to number 10, which is multi-channel attribution will now become mainstream or will become mainstream. So we just talked about that. How would you combine that with the previous one? Yeah, and it goes hand in hand. The more we start to look at our marketing performance as a whole and the budget management and revenue optimization as a whole instead of individuals, the greater your requirements are to use a multi-channel attribution model. And we talked a lot about in the last podcast, number 31 with Joel Burke, where we discussed you know, multi-channel attribution to a greater length. And what we're saying is instead of looking in channels in isolation, and trying to generate ROI for that channel, you need to start looking at your marketing performance as a whole and, and look at the company goals and see where marketing as a whole is heading and what kind of investments you need in some marketing to drive that revenue. 
And that's where multi-channel attribution is becoming mainstream. A part of it is technologies and companies like Google, they're making attribution a commodity uh, by making it available. I heard that there's going to be a new release coming out in early uh, next year by Google that's going to make multi-channel attribution a really easy access to everyone because it's going to be available through their free Google Analytics platform. Uh, and there's a lots of advancement by some other companies that you know I'm really you, I'm really liking is uh, what people at Visible are doing, what people at uh, different types of uh, uh, multi-channel attribution companies are doing. So with this advancement, a lot more people are consuming that type of data, and more and more will do. Just like web analytics is now a commodity, multi-channel attribution will also become a commodity. And what that means is it's going to become much more popular and more accessible. And yeah, usually. Yeah, as you're saying with a commodity. So real fast, just to cover everything we talked about, how, number one, how content marketing and ad messaging will be driven by AI. Uh, number two, we talked about advanced analytics and data science-driven um, marketing will override traditional marketing. Uh, number three, we said content consumption during drive time will increase due to the rise of self-driven cars. Number four, business analysts will be required to amp their analytic skills. Number five, digital security and data protection will be on hyper-rise. Number six, traditional analytical tools, Excel, SQL, um, will continue to make a way for advanced BI tools. Uh, Number seven, chief data officer jobs will be on the rise as organizations align data to business results. Uh, Number eight, and uh, let's see, organizations driven by CMOs will be faster su- to succeed than uh, driven by finance or sales leadership. Uh, number nine, TV commercials will be replaced by partial interstitial ads on top of TV shows. Number 10, digital budgets will become independent of the marketing channels. And number 11, multi-channel attribution will become mainstream. So this has been absolutely fantastic. Cool. Cool. So, as always, thank Great. you guys awesome. again. This has just been a, a quick um, quick podcast for you guys for predictions for 2018. Um, thank you again for uh, continuing to give us feedback. If you have any uh, recommendations of who you would like us to uh, reach out to or to interview or any specific topics, let us know. And you can always find us www.analytictodaypodcast.com. And as always, thank you guys again. So thank you, Samir. Cool. See you guys in the air. See you guys. Thank you.